Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, and have test results delivered automatically to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Join the thousands of parents who are already benefiting from Soberlink by visiting www.soberlink.com backslash family law. For a limited time, get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. That's really the meat and potatoes of how you settle a case. Because you can't get, as you mentioned, to the end of a case until due diligence is done, until discovery happens until financial documents are exchanged. And part of that discovery process is a deposition. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we are going to dive into a topic that I have been getting so much outreach on that I had to do the episode. And my guest today, it turns out he's the perfect person to speak on this topic. I'll explain why. He and I had a totally different topic selected, and I reached out to him and I said, Evan, can we please do this this other episode? Because so many people are asking. And so he very graciously agreed. And honestly, Evan is the perfect person to talk about this. So first, the topic. I have been getting an incredible amount of outreach from listeners asking me to do an episode on depositions. What are they? How do you get ready for them? Why do you do them? Really the ins and outs. And there's a lot of nervousness behind those questions. So I did want to attack it. And Evan Shine, my guest today, is the perfect person to talk about it. He's a New York City-based attorney, and he specializes in divorce and family law. He happens to be the head of litigation for Berkman, Botker, Newman, and Shine in New York City. And he handles himself a lot of high conflict and high net worth cases. So between being the head of litigation as well as handling high conflict and high net worth, that means Evan does depositions. And so Evan knows depositions. So I'm thrilled to be having him on today to talk about this. I also want you to know that he is the host of the podcast 
fabulous name, Shine On. It's good to have the last name Shine so that you can go with Shine On. Um, But he and his guests on that show, much like on Divorce and Beyond, give an inside and unfiltered look into the world of marriage, money, divorce, and more. So first off, Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. Susan, it is great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. And and again, thank you for changing topics at the last minute with me. Um, I'm very, I'm excited to be diving into depositions. It honestly was on my list of things to do. And then just in the past couple of weeks, I've gotten a bunch of questions. And I don't know, maybe you have an idea why suddenly so many people are asking about depositions. I don't know. Are you seeing an uptick in discovery or litigation um, at the moment? We are taping this right at the end of February, which is kind of in the middle of divorce season. Susan, it's such a great question. And I'm thrilled to talk about this topic, the topic of depositions. But first, you know, early in the year, January and February, and as we really head into March, I am seeing an uptick in litigation, in litigation cases. You know, back when COVID first hit, you know, a year ago at this point, many clients that I had and many of the cases which are primarily litigated matters, people were looking for alternative ways to settle their cases, mediation, uh, collaborative law, um, different ways to settle the cases out of court, given the backlog and given that new actions could not be filed in the state of New York and across the country. Now, as we're in 2021, people are looking forward to moving the divorce process ahead and what that comes with is, you know, moving the litigation process as well. Courts are up and running, depositions, the court process, everything is virtual, but things are now moving forward. And that includes both the discovery process as well as depositions. Well, and I think that's such a great point that you make now is that we had kind of a year-long lull in sort of the more litigated approach to a divorce. It doesn't mean that divorces weren't happening in the past year, but they were happening without court intervention for the most part. Um, But what most people maybe don't understand is that no matter whether you're litigating your divorce or you're mediating your divorce or you're going through a collaborative process, you have to do the, the discovery process, which is what we call it in litigation, or we could call it the information gathering process. Everybody, when they decide to get divorced, they immediately, and you probably see this, they jump ahead to who's going to get what, who's going to live where, and how it's all going to shake out. But they, they sort of jump over that phase of quantifying the marital pie. That's what I always call it. And depositions really fall into that quantifying or discovery phase, right? Susan, it's such a great question. I always tell people, when you think about a litigation, you have things that happen in the beginning of a case and you have the end of a case. And at the end of a case, it's either a settlement or in the event the case does not settle, you have a trial. And at the beginning stages of a case, when your case is in litigation, in court, as an attorney, you're presenting certain issues to the judge. The judge is becoming familiar with your client and the other side. The judge is deciding motions that may have been made at the beginning of a case. And so you have the beginning of a case and you have the end of a case. And then you have everything else that happens in the middle, all that stuff. And that stuff from a litigator and as a divorce attorney, that's really the meat and potatoes of how you settle a case. Because you can't get 
as you mentioned, to the end of the case until due diligence is done, until discovery happens, until financial documents are exchanged. And part of that discovery process is a deposition. And I love depositions. As an attorney, I absolutely love depositions. And I'm sure all the listeners out there are thinking, how could someone love depositions? And the answer is because as an attorney, it is an opportunity. It's a rare one. It is an opportunity to learn information by asking questions. It's an opportunity to, you know, get more information. It's an opportunity to ask someone about something that you saw in a document that was produced. And the other reason I love depositions is because it's a great opportunity to settle a case. I have had cases settle in the middle of depositions when you take the lunch break. And I've had cases that, you know, that have settled within days after a deposition because of the deposition. And as an attorney, I love depositions. Yeah. <laughs> so you definitely are the the perfect person to be talking on this subject. And I think you've you made a really great point in there because uh, I just did a special two-part episode this past week um, with Karen Chalou and Catherine Shanahan of My Divorce Solution. And in that, we were talking about really the five basic stages of the financial aspects of a divorce. But the first parts are that discovery or information gathering part. And they were talking about, you know, you mentioned statements. They were talking about the gathering of the bank statements, the tax returns, the 401k statements. What what you just pointed out is the depositions really come after the paper phase, right? They come once we, the attorneys, have gotten all that documentation in, and now we have questions. Now we want to know the answers to certain things. And, you know, that's one reason why we might take a deposition. So it's not, depositions aren't usually taken right at the beginning of a case, Right. It's a great point. And Susan, you're 100% correct. And your most recent episode was fantastic because it brings up such incredible points as it relates to the information gathering stage. And there's a process to everything. And depositions, they're expensive. They're time consuming. But to maximize the purpose of a deposition, ideally, you want to exchange documents in advance of the deposition. And I know you mentioned bank statements, you know, credit card statements are important, statements of deposition, tax returns. I'm a big believer you don't take a deposition solely to take a deposition. It's, it's a waste of time and it's too expensive to do it without a specific purpose. And if you have documents in advance of your deposition, you can pinpoint specific areas where you want to ask questions, where you need more information. You take the case of, let's say you represent and I had this last month, I represent the spouse whose husband owns a business. And we had requested substantial documents as it relates to my client's uh, husband's business. And documents were produced. And the focus of the deposition was pinpointed to really ask him questions about the business, about when he started the business, about certain expenses that were paid through the business. So if there's an order and a process in place it maximizes the benefit of the deposition. Right. And that's, I, I love that point. And because I want to make sure everyone understands this, 
the decision to take a deposition involves essentially a cost-benefit analysis, I think. I've always described it that way to my clients, where once we have gotten the bulk of the discovery that we can do or the information gathering on paper, and even when we've perhaps sent out something called interrogatories, which are really written questions that they then write answers to, sometimes it, it appears that it would be best to be able to have them sitting in a chair and answering some questions that we can ask. It would be more time effective. But you've alluded to the fact depositions are also expensive. So you have to, yeah, you have to kind of look at, is it worth taking the the cost of taking the deposition versus what you're going to learn from it, right? Excuse me, it's a great point. And, and that's a question that I discuss with my clients all the time. There has to be a point to taking the deposition. Now, the point of a deposition, as I mentioned, it could be to ask questions about documents that you've received. It could be because someone has not been forthcoming about documents. And then you get to sit across from someone in a conference room, and for the most part, there is no question that's off limits when it comes to asking someone about finances during a deposition. But it's also an opportunity to give someone a preview to what the case may look like if the case doesn't settle, right? If the case goes to trial and someone, let's say, has not been compliant with discovery, someone hasn't been forthcoming or candid, by asking someone questions and going through someone's business or financial records, it helps settle a case because you're giving someone on the other side a preview to what the case and what this could look like if the matter doesn't settle. Right. And that's, you know, it it gives, it is, well, let's describe actually what a deposition deposition is, right? It, it, well, you describe it for our, for my listeners. What is a deposition for those who don't know? Deposition, Susan, is a discovery mechanism. It's part of the discovery process. And as we talked about, the discovery process has many different phases. First is the paper exchange, which is bank records, credit card statements, tax returns. And then you get to the point where you will want to take a deposition. A deposition is when, as an attorney, I get the opportunity to ask the other side questions. Generally, it takes place in my conference room or the other side's conference room. There's no judge. It's under oath. So there's a court reporter and there's financial records. There's exhibits. I'm able to show the other side documents, ask him or her about specific financial transactions. But one of the reasons I mentioned I love it is because there is no judge. It's in a place where, you know, if the structure of the deposition is done the right way, you could allow someone to feel comfortable and the questions and the preparation are very important when it comes to the format and the organization. But essentially, a deposition takes place in a setting that's not a courtroom, no judge, no jury, in a conference room, and you can ask someone all sorts of questions relating to a specific topic. Yeah. And that's a a key factor there is that, you know, I always try to warn my clients because it takes place in a conference room. So to some degree, it feels less formal, but as you just mentioned, it's under oath. So one of the very first things that happens is the person who is being deposed will do the old raise the right hand and repeat after me and swear that they're going to tell the truth, the whole truth or nothing but the truth. So help them God or under uh, penalty of perjury. 
perjury, right? So it is just as serious as the testimony in a courtroom, but people might feel a little more relaxed about it. And I'll tell you what, th those magic words that you just said, raise your right hand, that's the best way to get someone to take this seriously. If someone thought they were going to waltz in to my conference room and they were going to breeze through this deposition, think again. You know, this is sworn testimony. And you can use this testimony at a later date to either help settle a case, to lock someone into testimony, which if the case is going to go to trial, it, that's an incredible part of a deposition. Because here I am asking questions, getting answers which are sworn testimony. And let's say somebody testifies to a value or to where they moved money or why certain money went out of one bank account into another account. You're locking someone into a story. And that story should not change as you go forward in the case. And if the case doesn't settle and that same person is on the stand testifying yet again, but this time in a courtroom, under oath, in front of a judge, if the person answers a question during cross-examination or direct examination that's different from the person's testimony six months, nine months, a year prior, also under oath, you can use that deposition transcript, refer back to it to impeach someone's credibility at trial. Yeah, that's, that's really one of the key factors, right? That aha moment for us, uh, the, the attorneys taking depositions is where we can find someone um, or somebody tells either a little twist on the truth or something changes in their testimony down the road. Because that's what it is. I do want people to understand testimony is a is an element of evidence. You know, so testimony is just someone's verbal response to questioning. Um, but when it's under oath, it's it's sworn to be true to the best of your knowledge and belief. And so if you say one thing in a deposition and then later in a hearing say something different in answer to that same question, you've created a problem for yourself because your credibility is in question now. It's, well, were you telling the truth in your deposition or were you telling? are you telling the truth now? And it's kind of one of those gotcha moments, right? It is. And the other thing that happens, Susan, in a deposition or once you receive the deposition testimony, if certain representations have been made prior to the deposition about certain financial practices or if there's been representations to the judge or to the court, and then you take the deposition, and for the first time now, as an attorney, I'm in the position to say, Judge, at the past two conferences, you heard this. This was the representation. But we took the deposition. Here's the transcript, and the story you have been told, it's actually not correct. So there's, a, there's an opportunity to use the deposition transcript even before the case proceeds to trial, but as a way to demonstrate to the court that the story or the narrative that has been put forth before the judge and put forth before the court is not an accurate representation. And I'll tell you, as, as an attorney, the, I use the deposition transcript to really help settle cases. I think as if you're doing your job correctly and you take a deposition, you're on the steps of completing the discovery phase, there's a real opportunity once discovery is complete and depositions are complete to sit down and settle the case. Yeah. I mean, I have to say one of the biggest um, light bulbs to go off often in a deposition can be 
that one of the parties is not particularly good at answering questions under oath. And some people are just the situation of being under oath or being questioned by opposing counsel, by their spouse's attorney, makes them nervous, makes them hostile, makes them um, aggressive, whatever that might be. But it can point out to everyone who's a part of the case that this person if they were to be testifying in court, might not be their best witness. They might not do such a great job. And so it gives everybody an idea of how people will do or what loopholes or what pitfalls there might be in their testimony. Because you and I both know there is no perfect client out there, right? I mean, I've never had a deposition where my client was 100% perfect, didn't do anything wrong ever. And so it's uncomfortable being deposed under oath because sometimes you're going to have to admit you did something wrong or something that you did doesn't look very good or you were kind of a jerk in a moment or something like that. And people have a hard time with that. Susan, it's such a great point, and you're 100% right. Preparation is the key to a deposition. And so much of litigation and so much of depositions and the discovery process and really divorce and the court process in general, it's, it's, it's based in fear, anxiety, and emotion. And what I try to do as a divorce attorney, as someone who litigates and spends more time in a courtroom than I do my own living room, is I always like clients to practice what the game is going to look like. And so, you know, there's so much anxiety surrounding that first court appearance. And when things were in person, I would have my client figure out how she or he is going to get to the courthouse, perhaps go watch in appearance, you know, sit in in the courtroom to take the anxiety and the stress out of the court process. And when I prep a client for a deposition, I do that in the exact same way as to how my client's going to be deposed. If my client's going to be deposed in a conference room, I'll bring her in and she'll sit with me and I'll walk through questions in the same setting so she can experience what the deposition will look like. And I think it's a great way to prepare. Clients should always be prepared for a deposition because so much of it is anxiety. So much of it is what is going to happen. You know, my husband's attorney is very aggressive. My husband's attorney, I'm afraid as to what questions may be asked, and sometimes by going through the motions, practicing for the game, practicing for the experience of a deposition, and even sitting in the deposition, clients realize, you know what, maybe I should settle my case, or you know what, the concern and fear that I had about my husband's attorney or my spouse's attorney, you know what, I got through this, And I'm better off in many ways because I went through this experience and I'm one step closer to the end. Hello, listeners. I just want to thank everyone who has gone and already signed up to become members of the Divorce and Beyond Members Only Community. Those people who have signed up are already enjoying all of the exclusive benefits of membership, which include downloadable materials, the archive of the podcast, which is all ad-free. 
You get exclusive members-only podcast episodes, the Ask Susan Anything Forum, and in fact, we've just uploaded a new answer to that. There's a monthly membership newsletter, and we're going to have videos, including the one that we just loaded from Dr. Kabeca from last week on getting your sexy back. So come on over to divorceandbeyondpod.com and join the community. It's only $10 a month, and we can't wait to welcome you there. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, leading divorce litigator Evan Shine, who walks you through the ultimate guide to depositions. It's incredibly important that you explain the process, you educate the client. What's going to happen? Who's going to be there? Your client should never learn for the first time that there's going to be a court reporter or that your, your husband could also be present. And it amazes me how many times when I, when I take over cases, people will come and say, my attorney never told me this. If you are enjoying this episode, check out our special two-part episode with Karen Shalou and Catherine Shanahan, the founders of My Divorce Solution, who help you tackle the top five financial roadblocks in divorce. Documentation is the lifeblood of the divorce process. So get statements start collecting right away even if you're not sure of what you're collecting just start making copies too much there's no such thing as too much in the divorce process and now we return to today's show There's so much in there that is important for people to hear. And I I think the first thing I want to hone in on is one of those emails that I got from a listener. Um, She sent it on yesterday, Sunday, and she said in the email, I'm being deposed by my husband's attorney on Wednesday, and my attorney hasn't really told me very much about the deposition and what it is. Can you do an episode on this? And I thought, well, damn, I don't think I'm going to be able to get an episode out fast enough to help you. But you just said something about the preparation. And I think that this is something that that listener, I hope, knows. I actually sent her back a quick email. Um, Your attorney should be preparing you, whether you are the one being deposed or if it's your attorney taking your spouse's or someone another witness's deposition, there's preparation that needs to go on, not just your attorney getting ready to take the deposition, but prepping you. As you said, you bring your client right into the conference room and put them sort of through the paces of a mock depot. Susan, I, I, I do, and you bring up a point about preparation. Preparation for a deposition, it doesn't start the night before. Preparation for a deposition, it starts a month before, six weeks before. As an attorney, you're always preparing for a deposition, for court conferences, for things that are going to come up. But the real way to prep for a deposition is to start well in advance. And the same is true when you're prepping your client for a deposition, right? You don't prepare your client on the Friday before a Monday deposition. And it's incredibly important that you explain the process, you educate the client. What's going to happen? Who's going to be there? Your client should never learn for the first time that there's going to be a court reporter or that your, your husband could also be present. And it amazes me how many times when I, when I take over cases, people will come and say, my attorney never told me this. My attorney never told me what is going to happen during discovery or during the deposition. A client should walk into the room and know how long it's going to take, 
who's going to be there, and the types of questions, and what are the appropriate ways to answer the questions. And if you spend the time preparing your client in advance and you work with your client, not once, not twice, but several times, it is amazing to watch a client and just how, how, how much the day of their deposition, how, how someone can answer the questions in a much better way because of the time that you've spent preparing someone for what the actual deposition will look like. And the best words as an attorney that I can hear when the deposition's over, Evan, you know what? That wasn't that bad. <laughs> I know I did I, something right. I know I did something right if I hear those words. That, and you're 100% correct with that, right? No one's ever going to walk out of a depot going, woohoo, that was a great six hours. But, you know, <laughs> but it's true. Nobody says, I want to do that again. But no. if they can say, you know what? It wasn't as bad as I thought. That those are the words I want to hear. And 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 you as you just said, if the prep is done ahead of time, that type of result is is probable because if you go into your deposition, you have been prepared with what to expect, right down to I love that you said this. Who's going to be in the room? Uh, there's going to be a court reporter, that person who sits there either with the little machine like we used to see in the Perry Mason movies, or more likely today they work off of a microphone and a recording system. But that person is a notary. They're probably the one who's going to take the oath. Then your attorney is going to be there sitting with you. And right across the table will likely be the other attorney and your spouse who's going to be sitting there and and trust me they are going to have a yellow pad in front of them and a pen and every time you say something they don't like they're going to start scribbling on that and tapping the pad and waving it in front of their attorney it's 100 percent true that's right it's 100 percent true and by explaining what a deposition looks like by walking someone through the process even to take it a step further, you know, if they can ask for breaks, the questions that a client can ask me what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. If I can take all the mystery out of a deposition, out of the court process, out of the discovery process, it is so much better from a client perspective. It's efficient. It's cost effective. And cases settle so much faster because of it. Yeah. Well, and you've already pointed out one of the big differences between a deposition and so, uh, sworn testimony in court is that you're in front of a judge in the courtroom and your testimony is in a much more formal setting. But we've already explained that under oath in a deposition is just as serious. But the one big difference that really has an impact on depositions is the fact that there is no judge sitting in your deposition. So when it comes to things like objections to questions or um, issues around procedural or whether, you know, paperwork's been um, provided or something like that, you don't have anyone sitting in the room to make rulings on things. So what do you tell your clients about, say, objections and, and that type, like if there's a question that they don't think should be asked? Susan, it's a great question, and, and although there's no judge in the room, I tell every client, pretend that there is, because if you can picture a judge sitting in the corner, that from a behavioral standpoint, from a, you know, what you say and how candid and how honest you are in the deposition, 
pretend that the judge is either listening or is going to read the deposition transcript. And I always tell clients, you, not the attorney, should really control the pace of the deposition. Listen to the question. If you need to pause or you need to think about it, you can. You can control the pace of the deposition, which comes back to preparation. And as far as objections, in New York, the objections are relatively limited. Generally, the objections will be focused on the form of the question, um, as well as attorney-client privilege. Those are generally the two objections. For the most part, clients will be directed to answer the question. You can mark a certain question for a ruling and be able to bring this issue to the judge if the case proceeds to a trial. But clients can take breaks. They can't take breaks if there's an open question. Um, but generally, the client's going to be directed to answer any question as long as it doesn't violate attorney-client privilege and is the, if the form is correct. And, and another thing that I have seen happen in depositions, and I find this unfortunate, and so I wonder if you you know, cover this ahead of time with your clients. Some attorneys, unfortunately, will use this the 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 fact that someone is under oath and use the deposition taking process to very aggressively um, question someone to the point where it verges on you know I'll just use the word harassment um, or or being offensive. I've had opposing counsel ask questions that delved way beyond, especially when it comes to sensitive topics like people's sexual behavior, um, you know, when there has been cheating, adultery, other issues, but it, it can extend into, you know, alcohol issues and, and can get rather offensive to people. How do you handle that in a deposition? And do you tell your clients anything about that ahead of time? Susan, it's a great question. And there's two things that I do. If a question has been asked and answered, I'll object and I'll say it's been asked and answered. The other thing that I do, and I tell every client who walks into my office and sits across from me from the consult to the deposition, the preparation, I need to know every skeleton, anything someone's going to bring up, whether it's at trial, the deposition, at any point, I need to know what is someone going to bring up? What is someone going to say from the obvious to the deepest, darkest secrets? Because if I, if I have that information, if I'm armed with that, I can ask the questions ahead of time. I can prepare with my client in advance of the court appearances, in advance of the deposition, take out the sting of the questions that are going to be asked, the gotcha moment, which attorneys love in depositions and trial. And what better way to, you know, hold off that I gotcha moment than if I've already talked to my client about it. So by the time my client goes to answer that question, he or she already knows how to answer it. He or she is already going to know what they're going to ask. The deposition, all the mystery, all the unknown should be removed from the deposition if the preparation is done correctly. So I encourage every attorney to get ahead of it, prepare your clients, and to go back to the question that you received from your listener, she should reach out to her attorney and say, I see on the calendar that there's a deposition. What do I need to know? How could I be prepared for the deposition? And... I would encourage her to reach out, ask the attorney to prepare her, go through different scenarios, different questions, to give her information so she feels comfortable to the extent that she can by the time she walks into that room or shows up on Zoom for the deposition. 
Right. And and I couldn't, that's exactly what I, I emailed back to her is that, you know, as you just said earlier, it's the time to prepare for the deposition is not in the days just before, because unfortunately for the client, that just raises the anxiety level. The sooner you start prepping the client and, and letting them know all of the information that we're talking about, everything that we're talking about in this episode is essentially what we would be talking about with our clients in the deposition prep preparation phase of their case. We tell them all of this, so it's not a mystery to them. Absolutely. And the other thing that that I tell clients is often depositions, they take place at a certain point of the case. The case has been pending for six months, nine months, a year. And so generally, I will have an excellent sense of the type of person your spouse is or the types of questions or the demeanor and tone of the questions that, let's say, your husband's attorney is going to ask. So getting back to behavior in a deposition, there's certain types of behavior that has no place in a deposition. Aggressive, threatening, harassing behavior. Depositions are not the place for that. There is no place for for that type of behavior in a litigation. And sometimes attorneys forget that, that the testimony, just like it's sworn testimony on the client's behalf, there's a whole record of the questions, of everything that's being asked, everything that's being answered, And if there's behavior that's taking place during the deposition, either from a client or from an attorney, it's information that on the other side as an attorney, I can bring to the judge. Right. And, and, we do. So everybody, you know, other attorneys, I've uh, I've had opposing counsel go a little too far in depositions um, and it has come back to haunt them when that transcript then is uh, submitted to the court and the court sees um, some of the tactics that are sometimes brought about uh, in our cases. So uh, one of the things I want to leave people with, we're running close to, to time, but I wanted, you know, I always have a couple of top tips that I give to my clients when I'm prepping them. And I'm guessing that you probably do too. So if you were going to give, you know, the people out there who are listening, your top tips for getting ready for their deposition, what would you tell them? Susan, it's a great question, and I have three top tips. The first tip is don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Answer the question, um, and don't guess. If you don't know something, don't guess. Don't throw out a number. Don't throw out an answer. Don't lie. Don't guess. And the last tip is listen to the question and answer only the question that's actually being asked. Not the question you wish was asked, not this question you think is going to follow. Just answer the question that's going to be asked. And, you know, the, I always, when I prep clients for depositions, I always say, if I ask you, did you eat breakfast this morning? There's only one or two ways to answer it it's either yes or it's no. It's not a story as to what were you going to make, but you slept too late, the snooze button didn't go off. It's a yes or it's a no. And again, it comes back to preparation, but don't lie, don't guess, listen to the question and answer only what's being asked. Your top three are my top three. (laughs) And I will tell you that last one and listen to the question. I always tell them, take a deep breath and then answer only the question. I want them to take that pause. 
And I can get, tell you 100% of my depositions that I've participated in, the client has gone on to answer with more than a yes or a no to some question where suddenly they are telling their entire tale of the mashed potatoes and pancakes and eggs and bacon and why they had that instead of cereal. And I'm like, where was the yes or the no? Well, it's true. You, you only could prep, you know, so much. And at some point it's in the client's hands, but you bring up something that I think is so important, which is the silence, pausing and listening to the question. Silence is so incredibly powerful and it creates that moment where if you're the attorney taking the deposition and you see that pause, that moment, it's a really powerful moment in time where you know someone's thinking about the question and how to answer it. Yeah. And it means that that person is has been properly prepared. That's the last thing that maybe I want to mention here because a very common question in a deposition is, did your attorney help you prepare for this deposition? And people always get nervous in answering that after they've spent a couple hours with their attorney prepping. What do you tell your clients about that question? It's a great question. And I tell people to be honest. There's nothing wrong with preparation, but 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 that's the type of question. If you don't prepare your client for that question, as well as did you look at any documents in preparation for today's deposition, clients are uncomfortable. They don't know what to say, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with preparing for a deposition. And candidly, if your client said no, there's a concern there too. So I encourage you. Yeah. <laughs> I encourage someone maybe hasn't done their job, right? It's, Absolutely. It's exactly right. I encourage yeah. people answer the question. Not only should you answer it honestly, you should be preparing. Um, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. Exactly. So I love that. And I, I truly appreciate, Evan, you joining me and talking about this topic because I think, you know, really this conversation, as I said before, somewhat mirrors what we would be sitting in our conference room or on our Zoom conference with our clients prepping them for a deposition and what we tell them. Clearly, it would go much deeper than this, and that's what they should be doing with their attorney, which would be maybe reviewing documents and being prepared for certain types of questions and things like that. But so if somebody is going through a divorce in New York, your firm and you handle divorce um, and family law litigation, how can they find out more about you, reach out to you, get more information? Susan, thank you for having me on. In terms of people getting in touch with me and my firm, people could find me at www.berkbotcom. It's our firm's website. Berkman, Bonker, Newman, and Shine. People can find me on Instagram, Evan underscore Shine, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And as you mentioned, I have my own podcast. People could listen and subscribe. Shine on on Apple, Stitcher, or Spotify. Perfect. And I'm going to be on Shine On soon. So I encourage all my listeners to be on the lookout for that episode, but go check it out now. And I have to tell you, I love that your website is BurkeBot. For me, it's like a tech name or something. You guys are the BurkeBots. Because <laughs> it's always, to me, a bot's that little thing that pops up in the corner and asks me if I have any questions. You guys are like the family law question BurkeBot. So, there we go. My, my, law, my law partner, Jack, is going to love that you said that. <laughs> you can 
tell them I love Birkbutt, and you can remember it. So everybody, go get in touch. If you have a case in New York, obviously, I think you can see Evan knows what you need to know about your New York divorce case. And again, thank you for being flexible, for switching topics with me. I know this episode is really going to help the people who are you know, facing either having their deposition being taken or do they want to take a deposition or depositions in their case and some of the benefits um, and some of the cost-benefit analysis that they need to, to go into. So thank you so much for joining me, Evan. Susan, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.